0: guy here You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's M-R-K-T Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter, and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. It's July 18th. It's to Is day, July 18th, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, check this out. In just a few minutes, probably less than that, Dan. Carter Braxton Worth from Worth Chartings will be jumping on the line. I am fired up. Today's market call brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Listen, I'm not Laird Hamilton, you know, doing that surfing shit because that's Very badass. Nice. I wish I could, although I was one of the early people at Mavericks. Uh, you might want to Google that. And also, of course, uh, our data provider, Dan, is FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. So it's Tuesday. The market's higher because, of course, it's open. Uh, And here we are, Microsoft just off to the races on yet another AI thing. I'm not going to bury the lead, but Doug Cass sent an email to us both um, and illustrating how some of the absurdities that's going on, how the market's being driven by a handful of stocks and how AI names have accounted for the lion's share, if not the entirety of this move. And he's right. But here we are at 55.43 in the S&P 500.
1: Well, all right, let let let's take a step back here. I'm stepping back. Yeah, let's let's talk about what's what's going on in Microsoft. The headline today of they have pricing of their Office 365, the Copilot. This is this like suite of tools that is based on OpenAI. This is the company that they invested in, right? The Chat GPT, um, you know, that they're integrating into um, their productivity tools, into their search and Bing, and people are really excited about. And I just want to make one point here. Okay. So if the stock is up 5% in a straight line on the day on that headline to a new all time high, let's just do some math here. Okay. This is a $2.6 trillion market cap company. Okay. So guy, 10% would be $260 billion. Okay. Five percent is 130 billion dollars okay nice job has gained 130 billion dollars in market cap in a straight line in an hour and a half because of a headline that everyone expected okay maybe the pricing was five dollars more per user you know what i mean per seat you know that sort of thing but think about this okay this is a company that this year is expected to do in revenue okay 211 billion dollars the cfo of this company amy hood said recently, uh, I think to analysts or something that, you know, this this basically their AI tools are going to be their fastest business ever to $10 billion in revenue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I just said that the stock has just gained $130 billion in market capitalization off of maybe a business right now that they might gain $10 billion in revenue for. So today's move is point or, or, or 10, you know, it's 13 times. I mean, like, think about that. Okay, so that's crazy. That was just like some little simple math. So you tell me what sort of like investment world that we're living in right now, where that can happen and take a stock like this to a new all-time high, trading at 38 times this year's expected earnings of high single digit. Next year's 33%, um, you know, or, or, or you know, 33 times next year's expected earnings growth. Um, you know, I don't know, man. I, it, well,
0: no, quite frankly, we've seen this investing world before. I mean, I don't want to get too draconian here, but, I mean, you saw some pretty crazy moves in the late 1920s, by the way, number one, but I don't even want to necessarily go there. I mean, you saw the same type of stuff going on in the late 90s, early aughts, as they say. So it's not like it's unprecedented. And to a certain extent, in other asset classes, you saw the same type of stuff going on 06, 07, into 08. So it's not, again it's not like it has not happened before. And when you see Microsoft, which again, just made an all-time high today for context, an all-time high today against a quarter last quarter, which was by Microsoft standards, okay. I mean, this AI thing clearly has vaulted them to the point I made earlier about what Doug sent us into the stratosphere. I don't think this is necessarily human beings making these decisions, but that doesn't even matter anymore because it is a machine-based, machine-driven, headline-driven market. And with passive investing, money flows are such that these stocks are going to move. I think when people realize the fundamentals behind it and the valuations now that Microsoft is probably trading at, and i have to do a back of an envelope, but given this move, I would submit Microsoft is probably close to 31 times next year's numbers. 33. 33. 31, I'm sorry. 33. So think about that. That's probably... Well, I could probably say this with a lot of confidence. It's the highest multiple we've seen in the last decade. I can't speak to the lifetime of Microsoft, but I don't think it's necessarily justified. Now, it doesn't matter what I think. If you're long the stock, it doesn't matter the reasons why it's higher. You're making money. But just understand, don't confuse brilliance of investing with markets that are now divorced themselves from reality. And I'm by the way, I am absolutely choosing that phrase.
1: Yeah, well, and I would also add, maybe the guys can pull up a, an intraday chart of Nvidia, and Nvidia is down in the day, and now it's up two percent. And so when you think about this, like this is really important. So we talked about maybe that's going to be ten billion dollars in revenue for that product, right, for for Microsoft. And so it's trading at thirteen times, like the the market cap gain is thirteen times that best case scenario, not best case, but like good case scenario sales. Well, think about what also has to do if Microsoft's rolling out these products and they're charging thirty dollars per user enterprise customer, right, for that. They also better nail it. They better have the proper chips. And supercomputers and data centers to run those searches, right? And that's all going to be really expensive. And that's why I think, obviously, NVIDIA is rallying off of this news. Again, it just reinforces the fact that people are going to need these graphics chips um, to put in those sorts of, um, you know, supercomputers for the compute and everything like that. But it's also expensive. And so, if Mm -hmm. that $10 billion in sales comes with much greater costs, right, then I'm not certain it's a layup here either. So, again, I'm just ranting here a little bit. This doesn't make a whole heck of a Lot of sense for me i think if you're buying these stocks off this and if you're anything other than a momentum trader fine i mean like you know we all used to trade like this. i used to trade like this all the time and, and you know but now we sit and talk about this stuff whether it be on our podcast or on market call or on, on fast money we got to talk about it every day so i guess maybe we're just getting a little ranty as crazy as no
0: I, no it, it gets and i'm sure people are tired of hearing us seemingly rage against the machine and then people you know what, what i will say is you know given the amount of time I've been doing this and living through some of these things, I'd like to think I know how this ends. And I'm not suggesting we're trying to protect people from themselves because that's really patronizing. And it's almost sort of, I I think it's somewhat insulting, but you know, with the, with the, I guess under the context of having lived through this, I think there's some warning signs that absolutely need to be addressed. And I'm not going to say it's easy to sit here and be bullish every day because, if it were that easy, I probably would have done it. But it's also with that said, you know, I don't think you're doing anybody a great service if you don't point out, again, some of the irregularities and some of the absurdities of what's going on. And my concern is when this turns and all those zero data expiry options, which are clearly being utilized in a bullish way, start being utilized in a bearish way and you see how quickly things can go down, there will be a cascade of people, I know this because I've lived through this as well, raging against uh, the media and us specifically saying, why didn't you warn us? Why didn't you tell us? So, you know, I guess forewarned is forearmed type of thing. But on days like today, nobody really necessarily wants to hear it. And I understand that.
1: Yeah. Times like these, we learn to love again, guy. What was um, that? I, is
0: that is that we did Neil Young yesterday on our radio? That's not Neil Young, though. That
1: was great. No, that's Foo Fighters. Um, oh, I right.
0: love there. Aren't they? being inducted into some hall of fame or is they that- should be if
1: they're not all right let's no, do it because like we're we're a little oh, at least i am i'm a little ranty you know who's somebody who never rants who's always just kind of just a real rational guy you know why because he doesn't get in the weeds of all that stuff that math that we were doing and this and that or whatever This this what with no emojis with hearts just charts is that what we're doing no here? emojis
0: no hearts oh, just, just charts, charts. and yeah. if it, you know and it's interesting because if what's that woman britney Spears? Yeah. So if Britney Spears wrote a song about it, this is what it would be. Sorry, Carter, just indulge me for a second. It's all good. be like, no emojis, no hearts, just charts. I'm Britney, bitch. Back to you.
1: All right. Carter
2: Braxton works <laughs> I mean, pretty good. Look, I there's never really any good. point in ranting, right? Because the market doesn't know you own it or short it. In fact, we all have this, these issues. All my life, I would sometimes go into meetings in the past 30 years, and uh, you're presenting to a, you know, a man or a woman who's running a 14, $20 billion fund, and, and they'll say something like, after you've recommended something, I can't buy that. They go, I can't buy that. I, I lost money three times in that one. I mean, the point is that we all, you like sometimes you personalize and you think this damn stock, I can never, but at the end of the day, um, it is just over time a process trying to profit where we can, when we can, and control losses. But um, here, just in line with what you're talking about, consider this. This came in from a client, portfolio manager. He said this thing, TTD, Trade Desk, right, just being added to the NASDAQ 100, right, with a $42 billion Mari cap. And as he writes here, gap earnings have fallen by 80% over the past three years, from 240 million to 53. Stock based comp. Has gone up to one billion from a hundred million, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't generate any free cash cash flow, uh, excluding stock-based comp. So here you have something that's forty billion added to the Nasdaq 100. Now, of course, that's the past. In the future, they could earn great sums, but uh, the highest earnings they've ever had per share is about fifty cents. They're projected to maybe make a dollar in the twelve to eighteen months ahead, and trading at uh, eighty-eight dollars added to the Nasdaq 100. Is that a is that a, a long-term? Um, you buy it here. Are you going to be ahead or behind? Looking out three to five years, I think you'll be behind.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think that's kind of a theme of at least my ranting here a little bit is that there's a lot of like like um, enthusiasm about narratives right now. And, and and I think guy that was kind of the point you were making about those other periods in time in in the markets because narratives, you know, are very powerful, right? Storytelling is very powerful and especially when you're dealing with technology companies where, you know, like this, this we can't really even figure out how the, the best uses of a lot of this AI, these large language models, the generative AI, what they're actually going to be when they're commercialized, you know, like really mm-hmm. commercialized. And that's the lesson I think of the internet bubble in the late 90s but you know the S&P 500 you know averaged 30% you know gains from 95 through 99 you know what i mean and you could have been railing against it mm-hmm. the whole time i guess what i'm saying here is why i just thought carter it made a lot of sense to look at this the cfo of this company said this is going to be the quickest thing to 10 billion and the stock has just gained 130 billion on the headline about the pricing of this thing but no one knows what the revenue, you know, what it's going to be, and what sort of margin they have on it, given all the expense it costs to get there. So here, you know, here it is what it is. Um, let, let's talk about a sector that I think is really interesting, because before this headline came out, guys, if you recall, you know, a lot of these like, stocks, the semi-stocks that have been benefiting from AI, um, Google, Amazon, all these stocks were down on the day. And you know what was raging were the bank stocks. And, and so, you know, there's one where there actually have been, you know, really negative sentiment and they've underperformed the broad market. So Carter, when you see a move like we have today in Schwab, you know, Danny Moses was just in here, our pod partner on, on the tape. And he was like, you see this thing? You see this thing? I don't know. He's like, he's like, I don't know what they said. You know what I mean? Like, like, like mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying he doesn't know what they said, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like a 12%, you know, sort of thing. It wasn't like sure. the sort of beat and raise. So, Look at that. It just got above its 150-day. It broke out here, um, you know, or broke out, you know, above it, I guess. Thoughts there, and then maybe if you want to take a look, I think we have a KRE, um, which is the Regional Banking Index. We have an XLF here. Are they getting more constructive, in your opinion?
2: Yeah, uh, just perchance. I don't know if intended as such, but um, per this conversation, um, Friday's uh, closing note of the week was buy BKX for a bounce. And all it was based on was the minor formation, simply the formation. And you can see it here. It's a sloppy head and shoulders, bottom, but you can see in the KRE very clearly and you can see it in the BKX. And the trade would be simply doing what Schwab has now done, getting back to uh, trend, getting back to the 150 moving average. And so um, we started out of the gate with the first earning achievement, where it was the only one that was good, everyone else was down, big hits on State Street, right? Northern Trust. But with BAC's news and strength today, uh, the thesis, the trade is very much intact. So from my seat, you, you make it to 49, uh, 45 here, that's a nice 10% trade, and you take the money and run. Structurally, uh, uh, look, banks are a bad business. Let me, let me just uh, can consider this. The relative performance of the BKX, is making all-time lows, substantially below its 2009 financial crisis relative lows. Or another stat just for fun, Morgan Stanley, uh, which is a great uh, business in principle, is trading at the same level it was in 2000. So now we're 2023. If you were to see an all data chart of Morgan Stanley, you're talking about something that's unchanged for 23 years, which means adjusted for inflation at 3 to 4% a year, you've lost 80% of your money. <laughs> 80% of your money owning Morgan Stanley, if you're just sitting around holding it on a real terms basis. So there it is. Uh, current price is exactly at the level of the dot-com peak. And that's so we,
0: Yeah. And I agree with you. We put the carry back real quick. And again, I'm not going to pretend I've been some raging bull because I haven't. What I've said for a while is in the absence of headline news, these things will continue to levitate and these things meeting the regional banks. And that's what's happening. I've also said, I think there's going to be an inevitability to another swath of bad news. And it's just a question of at what point in this chart does it happen? So this thing will continue to sort of do this dance. I think Carter's right. You get back to that very steep downtrend line in the form of the move average, then you have to ask yourself a question. And by the way, at a certain point, the compelling valuation that these banks had back in March, April, May are going to start to sort of wane and that valuation starts to become a headwind, especially when you consider, and we're going to talk to Sheila Bear on Fast Money tonight, I would tune in for that, regulation is coming. Tightening credit conditions are coming. The access to credit's not going to be there. The appetite for credit's not going to be there. And when you think about it, regional banks in this environment have a giant bullseye on their back. So I think you can continue to sort of ride this wave, but understand that this is going to crash on the beach at some point. And I think it's going to happen faster than people realize
1: all right let's talk about yields um because uh i think it's interesting you know carter i think there was a time in the not so uh distant past where you were saying that you know the 10-year yield it looked like a pair of twos um and i think the way it's traded over the last few weeks has kind of suggested that too right a move to the the kind of downtrend that had been in place and it's kind of held that moving average over the last year 150 or whatever but look at that it's like kind of right Dead, dead, dead in the middle here. You know, if we're looking out again to this uh, FOMC meeting um, on July 26, we have a near certainty, uh, at least, that what the CME Fed Funds uh, tracker is pricing another 25 basis point um, sort of hike here. I think that a couple of weeks ago, when they had that pretty sharp move in yields, I think a lot of folks thought that maybe that had to do with the Fed's, uh, you know, hawkish stance. That maybe that that hawkish pause in the June meeting. You know, if we saw maybe a reacceleration in some some data that was um, hot, right, that we might have a Fed that has to get back on the horse. Thoughts here on yields and, and, and how we should be thinking about them relative to equities. And do you think we're setting up for maybe a big move as as kind of a breakout or, or, or a breakdown, at least a, a retest of that uptrend that's been in place for last year and the 10-year?
2: Right. So I, I remain in the lower rates camp. It, just to go back to the peak, the, that was a Friday. It was October 21st of 2022. Um, the dollar uh, peaked in September. Uh, one month later, yields peaked. And so the five-year, the 10-year, the 30 yields have never exceeded those highs. That's nine months ago and counting. Rates basically have been peaking, in my view, for now, uh, nine months. Um, you can see here, this was a piece uh, put out today. So those peaks, October 21st, October uh, 21st, um, Uh, of 2022 that's a typo look at that on my thing because we know that october 21st 2023 does not exist yet um but the point being that nine months later uh rates are still below where they were and i think we basically work lower and the tell is that the dollar uh never looked back right the dollar peaked right around the same time three weeks and then has gone straight down
0: let's put Uh, that chart back up in yields real quick if we could toggle back bingo players you're welcome um (laughs) This has me. well, it's interesting. Clearly, I'm confused. I think that's a foregone conclusion. But you know what else is confused, Dan. The bond market seemingly is extraordinarily confused as well. And it comes in the form of some of these moves we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Again, bond volatility seems to be back. And I think there's a struggle with what's going on here. Is inflation still a problem? Is slowing growth a problem? Quite frankly, I think both of those are a problem, which is why, the bond market continues to try to figure it out. What I've been puzzled by, and I'll say it for the hundredth time, is you know, bond market volatility has not found its way into the equity market. And again, I would just say it's a matter of time before it does. I thought 10 year yields would go lower as well. The reason why I thought they'd go lower, Dan, is because one, I thought that the, the economy is slowing, which it probably is. And two, I thought the broader market would sell off and you'd have a flight to quality in the form of the treasury market, which makes yields go lower. Neither one of those things has happened. But, you know, here we are and you go across back to, again, late fall. And, yeah, we've had some pretty significant moves, but we're basically at the same levels we were, I want to say, around Thanksgiving, Dan
1: yeah well it's interesting and one of the things that you and i spent some time talking about on the tape and then we also did market call yesterday um on sirius xm radio 132 at noon eastern people but we talked a little bit about the move in the dollar i mean man over Mm -hmm. the last kind of two weeks or so um that was you know talking about like volatility working its way into other asset classes i mean You know, we're starting to see some bond market volatility. We're starting to see some volatility in the currency markets. We're starting to see some volatility in overseas markets, the Chinese markets, um, and the equity markets don't um, act particularly well. So it'll be interesting to see where else it gets to. But this got us to something that, Guy, is near and dear to your heart. And Mm. and Carter had a great post on Worth Charting today, and we suggest you guys all check it out. But he's going to walk us through it here a little bit. You know, with this dollar weakness, you know, the shiny metal, it, it, it looks like something that it feels... Fairly constructive. So Carter, walk us through what you're seeing. And believe it or not, Guy Adani wants to put a trade on in in, in gold Mm -hmm. using the futures here when you're done. And I think we're going to kind of line it up with some of your levels there too, buddy.
2: Sure. So, I mean, commodities in general, right? We know crude is perked up, not gas. Uh, And you look at uh, whether it's the CRB or or there's an ETF, GSG. uh, They all look tradable here on the long side. But gold, uh, basically a six-month chart, no lines, no drawings, no judgments. Let's put some on. Does it have to be that? No, that's a that's a conclusion, that's a judgment, but that's what my eye sees. Look at the next one, downtrend line, put them together. Okay. But now let's look at this circumstance that's about an 8% or 10% sell-off since May. Put it in the longer-term chart. So, same thing. Look at the iterations. The first one, there's the little minor bottom, next one. And so now keeping this same time frame and getting rid of those minor annotations, this is what really is important. Um, Uh, We also know that the drawdown where it stopped, look at the percent decline, right, was right to trend about an 8%, not much uh, different than the preceding drawdown of 8% um, in March, put them together, and you have that. And the longer term, of course, is what remains the compelling thing. Are we ultimately going to make important new highs? Gold is essentially at its 2011 peak. Here we are, 2023. And we've been Exactly. We've been setting up, ultimate, I think, to take those highs out. Last iteration, and you see it here. So you can toggle back and forth those last two. The point being that this is a setup that um, is likely resolved up. And at this point, uh, if you don't have gold, get some.
0: I love that gold bullion. It reminds me of soup, Dan. And listen, you know that I agree with this. And I think Carter would also say that each time you... Let's fl- if we were to flip this around, which we can't do, but if we were, you would say each time we traded down to support and held, you know, typically the third time it does not hold. Well, the same holds true on the upside. So we've obviously made runs a couple times to this new all time high and have failed, but here we are yet again on the precipice of doing exactly that. And at a certain point, you keep knocking on that door. Uh, that door is going to open. and I think that's exactly what we're setting up for. And you know if you want we can go to the trade. I think we've outlined it. Um, this is what I'm looking at right now. I think and this is it's, you know this is not in a vacuum. we've been talking about this. I think you get long gold effectively here. The stop out is basically that trend line. So that trend line that we've talked about for a while, that uptrend line that's been in place, that's where you're stopping out. Not a huge uh, move to the downside. You didn't give yourself a lot of room, but I think that's the right level. On the upside, your initial target is that all-time high that we've been talking about. So you can put that prior chart up real quick just to sort of illustrate it a little bit better. This is what I will tell you, Dan and Carter. And again, I'm not suggesting I'm right, but having done this for a long time, I'll tell you what typically happens. As much as we talk about gold and seemingly it's an everyday occurrence, for a, lot of, uh, in, for a lot of the investor verticals out there, it's not on anybody's radar screen necessarily. The big swaths of money right now are not focused on gold. They will be focused on gold when their system tells them to be. And their systems haven't kicked in yet. My sense is their systems kick in on a close above these prior all-time highs, which comes in right about that level that we flagged. So yeah. I think there's another leg left. That leg is going to be driven by Uh, institutional money coming in, which by the way, um, it's great for the equity market because the equity market can typically take that type of liquidity. The gold market is not set up that way. The gold market is not nearly as large. So that's why I think you're about to see some outsized moves to the upside. So get long here. Your stop is the upper trend line. Your initial target is the all-time high, but I'm looking for much more than that, Dan.
1: Yeah, and so I think it's really interesting when I think about this trade here. So we have 1983, uh, and, and if we look at kind of like right before that kind of like that that recent high, you know, that target would be like 2060, and then you know above like 2080 guy, that was kind of those those tops that we've mm-hmm. seen over the last, you know, three years or so. And that's really, I think, the breakout that Carter is talking about here. But to the downside, it's funny. You know, so we're at 1983, and, and I think the stop this, this first stop is down about 2% guy. It's down, you know, 1945 mm-hmm. or so. And you could stop it, you know, that that level down there, maybe it's kind of, you know, 1900 or so. That was the low, I think, from about a month ago. But, you know, when you're trading futures, and, and you and I have talked about this, um, you know, you, you want to use pretty tight stops here because the ability to kind of, um, you know, kind of probe from, levels and continue to play for a move, that sort of thing, because things just don't all always happen all at once here. And I think the idea of, of kind of allowing for, let's say, a 4% downside where your initial target is up about 4%, that's not particularly great. And so I think that the risk-reward is is kind of embedded or it helped out by using tighter stops, in my opinion, because if the dollar continues to go lower, and let's say the equity markets sell off a little bit in doing so, you're going to have upward pressure this and then you would continue to kind of raise your stop you know every 20 or 40 or something like that so i i like what carter you're seeing in the charts and guy i like the way you want to trade in the future
0: yeah and before we turn it back over to you or carter i'll say this you know people i'm reading some of the comments and people are making great points and i've said this but any new audience members i think they should hear it i think without doubt i mean this is just factually true central banks bought a record amount of gold last year i think it was 1131 tons to the tune of about 71 billion or so dollars and they're on pace to do similar this year and what i've said and what i absolutely believe central banks are effectively hedging their own collective ineptitude so that is being taken off the market as well now i'm surprised the price hasn't you know hasn't been commensurate that type of buying with the price but i also think it's just a matter of time so the gold trade to me is alive and well. And and I'd be very surprised if some event didn't trigger that institutional buying that I talked about a few minutes ago.
1: Yeah, Carter, let's let's talk a little bit about um, uh, commodities. Let's broaden it out a little bit here um, because, you know, Guy, um, you made a great point to me. I was gone all last week and I was talking about this move in crude up to the mid-70s. And I thought it was really interesting because I was looking at my charts um, after, you know, not kind of looking at my fact set screens for five days. Um, and it was interesting that ExxonMobil, you know, the largest component of the XLE, like the largest, you know, oil name out there, was trading at a three-month low as crude just made this move from like 67, 67, Sixty-eight to 75 here. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of interesting. And Guy's point was, yeah, but for every large integrated that you have that's trading like that, look at what's going on in the oil services. So maybe you could help us a little bit with the commodity complex a little bit, and then we'll kind of work our way back into um, crude and maybe some of the related stocks.
2: Sure. I mean, that gas has been basing and stabilizing week after week for many weeks. And crude got down to close to 60, and you had all these reports come out, recession, crude to 40. They're the equal and opposite reports of when crude went to 140, and two Wall Street firms published 250 a barrel because of Ukraine. When Wall Street gets really convinced about something, the one thing history shows is you should take the opposite side. So when Wall Street says 250 a barrel, we're going to go from 140 to 250, get short crude. When Wall Street starts talking about 40, you want to get long crude. Now, crude commodities in general are starting to base and bottom. Here's the CRB. It's an all commodities index, but there are others. Look at the next iteration, whether we use the moving average or we use the trend line. The point is we are in the throes of a bottom. That's my view.
0: I agree with that. And, you know, I'll throw just a couple of things, Dan, and we're coming up on it, I know, but gasoline very quietly Uh, is moving higher. I think we're a multi-month high, by the way, and again, not to get too wonky, but gasoline is in a pretty steep backwardation. And this time of year, it's something we typically don't see. So keep that in mind. And a lot of these commodities have actually started to turn to the upside to Carter's point. So I think, and we've talked about this, we talked about it on our podcast that dropped on Friday with Dennis DeBuscher. Yes, the same way I think you saw probably that peak inflation read of June of last year, whatever that was, 9.1%, I think it was June. You might've just seen the trough number, if not this past month, maybe this coming month, but you're pretty damn close. And I think you're gonna to start to see inflation start to trend the other way. And you have a seasonality thing going on. And by the way, the comps with which it's measured get easier. In other words, you know this is gonna be much more difficult for that downward trajectory to continue. That's why, by the way, I think the Fed is being as hawkish as they are because they intuitively understand that. So we'll see. Um, that's obviously the bearish case for equities and those such things. It's also the bullish case, Dan, for commodities.
1: Yeah, no, and it's interesting because, um, Carter, I think right before I left, right before that kind of July 4th week, you know, um, you were saying to buy crude um, and, and that, that support held and it really propelled um, a fairly big move or so. And I think it's interesting to kind of overlay, you know, that gas, as you did, and, and show some of the other, you know, related commodities that are putting on bases. And they look like they're showing um, some support there. So, um, pretty interesting. Guy, do you want to take a look quickly? There's going to be some of these oil service names yeah. that are reporting here. Um, well,
0: Hal Burton, for sure. Yeah. Let's throw up. And I don't know if we have an OIH chart, I'm sure we do. But we look at this move. I mean, this is flying under everybody's radar screen. Got down to about 247, 248 in early June, right basically approaching a 52 week high we've driven the red line I'm not suggesting it's right Carter is probably making a face but it is what it is and you've had this stealth move in the services uh, sector in a tape that's clearly gone higher uh, but against the backdrop of a commodity to your point that's really going nowhere so the fundamentals are starting to take over here and again we're at the I'll, I'll use the word again I think we're at the precipice we're sort of right at that point where, these oil service names are going to break out. I think Howard Burton, Dan, is after the bell tomorrow. I apologize if it's before. Regardless, that's obviously your first. There's your implied move. You've had a nice bounce. It looks hauntingly similar to the OIH chart, although it's not rallied as much. You could sort of see it there. I still think it has room to the upside. So you know my view on the OIH. The OIH is one of the O's in my mojo again it doesn't matter which O. it is one of them and i think this thing can then just grind in the back half of the year
1: all right here's one thing carter i just want to freestyle for a second oh, here I like um, that. There, there was a name and this is going back to last kind of earning season um and i bought it after it gapped on the first day and i'm not one of those people got carter do you have any sense like you ever hear people say the three-day rule like if you have a stock that you wanted to buy and it gaps after earning like is that a thing or
2: no in your opinion <laughs> people sure want to believe it's a thing here's the thing There's no hard and fast rules in this, right? We know that. What what they're trying to say, because it's like, okay, how about not to talk about DeMarc, but I mean, why is it 13? If something goes up practically every day for 12 days or 14 days, at some point it's overbought or oversold. Okay. So 30 days, it's trying, it's a cooling off period. They do that when you buy handguns, too. The idea is actually, they, they, they don't. They don't. Oh, they should. Okay. But they, they do it with, with, with leases. You can you can back out of a, a deal, or you give yeah. some time to say, what the hell was I thinking? And so the, the idea about a three-day rule is like when you have a big move of some kind, typically it's down, right? People are like, you know, don't rush in and do yeah. something. There's an expression out in the West, right? Let the dust settle, right? You see who's who's alive, whose guns loaded, who's not loaded. So you don't have to, after a big drop in gap. Uh, jump yeah. in now is there a magic to three or waiting for you what we can't we have to pick someday is it five is yeah. seven so three is convenient but there is no magic to waiting all for right well know. here
1: here here's why i'm asking this question i'm gonna put a one-year chart of paypal up okay and you know th- like i want to be really clear with you people so like oftentimes and, and carter you're with us all the time it's five fifteen p.m And it's earnings season and a company reports their earnings and the stock moves and we have to react right and so paypal was interesting okay so this was back in early may and i was on the desk of fast money and you know i was not um i was not long the stock into the print but the stock was trading i think at 70 or something like that and i was like i'm just gonna buy it on the opening okay so if i had waited three days I, I would have gotten a good price in this one here. Okay. And, and I had to average in a little bit and then, you know, I kind of got it. I wiggled out of it. I had to trade my way out of it. That's not a great like, like place to be here, but look at where this thing is now Carter. And, and I'm just curious, you know, there's the 150 day it's just above that, but literally look at to the, the that resistance line is to the penny. And then I just want to pull up a five year or six year, which I think you probably care less about. I could have drawn a line there. What, what does this thing look like to you here? I'm just curious, um, uh, maybe we'll go back to that one year for a second here because my, my point was just on and I didn't think the quarter of the guidance was that bad either. And it was just interesting because it looked like a couple very large sellers were just like, get me out.
2: Right, so in principle, I would characterize the current circumstances as a rally to a difficult level, right? You've moved from essentially 60 to 75, up about 25, 26%. But more importantly than the percent, or the uh, actual level, it's the level from which it dropped in gap. So you're back to the scene of the crime, right? This is the stock that, as you articulated that plunged on the 9th of May. And before a stock plunges, anyone who purchased the day before, they didn't buy it because they wanted it to plunge or thought it was going to plunge. They bought it because they thought it was going to go up. And anyone the day before that and the day before that point being, there's two to three months of purchases made just before it plunged. Now, We're back to that level. So there are people who now have a chance to recoup all losses, get all their money back. And that is what overhead supply is. And of course there's supply from below too. Someone, Dumb or Brilliance bought it at 60 or 61 or 62. When you flip the cards over and show that person 73, 74, they're like, man, I just gambled on PayPal. I bought it at 62, it's 72, I'm gonna grab this. And so what is this? It's a rally to a difficult level where supply emerges from all sides. If I had this, I would trim or, or sell.
0: Dan, before we get out of here, either you or Carter, anybody in the audience, if I said the name Leo Balmudo, anybody, Dan, Not, Carter, no? Maybe somebody in the audience will know that and without Googling. But I'll tell you this. Carter said something about the rules, and he said there are no rules. If you're calling the movie Grease at the end when they're doing the drag race, Leo Balmudo says to John Travolta, the rules are there ain't no rules. There you go. That's that's a solid. Well, hold on, guy. I gotta I gotta interrupt. For, me.
1: I gotta interrupt for a second. A much better iteration of that. Okay, and this came out before Grease was in the beginning of Butch Cassidy and Sundance sure. Kid. Remember, remember when the guy comes up to him and says, "You know, you always said Butch that if anyone wants to challenge you to run the gang," and he goes. Guns or knives, Butch? He goes, I don't want to fight with you, Harvey. And he's like, knives, right? And then he goes, he's like kind of meandering over to him, and he says, all right, well, what are the rules? He goes, rules? There's no rules in a knife fight? Okay, well, let's get it started. And he punches him, like kicks him in the nuts, punches him in the face, and, and, the, and the fight was over, right? Sure. Like, that, that's about it. One of the
0: great movies, I love listen, that movie. one sure. of the great You know, Paul Maloney, who watches our stuff fastidiously, great word. Uh, was good friends with Paul Newman. As a matter of fact, there was recently a Paul Newman auction. Yeah, that Paul been on Rolexes. some stuff.
1: Yeah. Like, he had like a somewhere. great Rolex collection. Yeah,
0: Paul Newman. Um, I don't know. You know, I will tell you, there have been some cool people over the years. Um, Steve McQueen, clearly a cool cat. Um, obviously, you look at a guy like uh, Charles Bronson, just a cool cat. But Paul Newman, my God. Yeah, the coolest. coolest. And so are you, Carterworth. And so are you, Dan Nathan. And so is our audience. But that's it for today. (laughs) Now, before you leave, I'm just going to tell you right now. If you dig the On the Tape podcast, uh, by the way, you can find us in your favorite podcast store. drops on Fridays. Danny Moses uh, of The Big Short will be joining us for the full hour this evening on CNBC's Fast Money, along with Cameron Dawson. Going to be a fun show. Dan is back from vacation tonight on Fast Money. We're all at the NASDAQ, but that's it for today's market call. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, Carter at financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. We will see you tomorrow and Wednesday. Later.